Look up idiots in the dictionary. You know what you'll find? A picture of me? No! The definition of the word idiot, which you fucking are! Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to I Do Movies Badly, a podcast exploration of my cinematic ignorance. I am your host, Jim Rohner, and despite being an amateur film critic since 2006, I am woefully ignorant of many films, filmmakers, and genres that consensus has deemed important, and thus I have created this podcast to document my journey into cinematic edification. At the top of every month, I choose a filmmaker or genre of which I am woefully oblivious, and discuss the significance and impact of that topic with a guest, who will then recommend me three titles most relevant, which I will then watch and report back on. Um, this month, I'm exploring the films of George Romero, but specifically non-of-the-dead films of George Romero, so no zombies in this discussion. And joining me to discuss is Ali Kroper of BitLip, a team movie podcast. What's up? Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, if you've been paying attention to my Facebook feed at all, which nobody does, it's fine. Uh, this, is, uh, this is a greatly delayed podcast. We were supposed to be doing this couple weeks ago, and uh, and also as indicative of that, I just unplugged my my headphones. Um, That's been indicative of this whole situation. Allie and I sat down a couple weeks ago to try and record and had a lot of problems with it. Yeah, I mean, it was fine on my end. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I had a lot of problems with it. Sorry about um, Just real bad connection issues. Uh, her conversation was breaking up. It was just, uh, so we figured we'd do this better in person, so we're right here. In my apartment, um, and this is and that's uh, this is a, a, a first. Uh, many firsts are happening in this podcast. This is the first new recording of mm-hmm. spring mm-hmm. in spring. Mm-hmm. Um, first time Allie's been on this podcast. Hey. Um, first time I'm recording a podcast in this apartment, at least as of a resident of this apartment. Um, back in December, I recorded offbeat Christmas films with Alonzo Duralde here. But as a as a resident and a, a cohabitant of this apartment, this is the first time doing this here. Um, so this is pretty exciting. I, I hope everyone is excited as Allie is, because she's really excited. Sorry, super excited. Um, but so Allie, you're you're not new to me. I've known you for yeah. like forever, like mm-hmm. almost not not even a year. Yes. <laughs> but, but for you know for a little bit. That is that is long. But anybody who's listening to this be like, I don't know who this girl is. Right. So why don't you tell some people about yourself? Um, let's. Let me see shit. Let's let you know. We'll save the podcast discussion. Okay. You, your thing is movies. I want to hear more about when you were like a kid or whatever your first experience was like movies. This is my thing. I love this. Tell gotcha. me about that. Thank you so much for asking. Okay. <laughs> so, um, I was, I think, ten. I think it was two thousand two. I'm not. Yes, that makes sense. I was born in ninety two. Okay. Oh my god. <laughs> I am a child. <laughs> <laughs> Jim feels bad. Sorry, fine. Jim. It's fine. Okay. Um. So, yeah, I was about 10 years old, depending on when the movie came out that year. But Spider-Man with Tobey Maguire and Kirsten Dunst and Willem Dafoe and James Franco. Mm-hmm. I mean, stellar cast. Um, so my grandparents were like, yeah, well, let's go to the movies. So they took my sister and me. My sister was 13 or just about, mm-hmm. so she was allowed to see it, but you know. It was PG-13. My grandparents are from Portugal. They didn't know what the film ratings were. <laughs> so they, they actually, like, didn't understand. They thought, oh, rated R is good for kids and G is, like, bad. 
So I don't know why they thought PG-13 was good. <laughs> what, what did they think the R stood for? Like, really good for everybody? <laughs> Maybe real family fun. I don't know. Um, but they didn't understand. And we tried explaining truthfully, like, no, G is good. But anywho. Now, this might be, this might confuse you because you're looking at me and you see that I have Star Wars clothes on. I do see that, yeah. All over. <laughs> <laughs> and space-themed socks. Oh, yeah. But, um... Spider-Man was the first movie I saw on the big screen Okay. that made me be like, oh my god. Um, I wanted to be a superhero after watching that movie. Like, I felt so inspired. I was like, it's my responsibility to do good in this world, Aww. just like Spidey. And, um, like, I wanted to be Spider-Man and, you know, my wallet's Spider-Man. So, I'm not just Star Wars today. But, <laughs> but yeah. So, like, just feeling, like, so inspired after that movie theater and, like, imagining that I was a superhero and, like, you know, swinging through some city I'd never been to because I'd never been in New York at that point, I think. Um, it was just, like, a game changer for me. Okay, so then as a, as a Spider-Man fan, now, peek behind the curtain, everyone. Ellen and I have had this discussion before. Yeah. So this answer isn't a surprise to me. But, uh... Amazing Spider-Man, Andrew Garfield. What were your thoughts on it? Um, and also, Tom Holland fan, yes or no? Mm-hmm. I love them both. All right, so here's the thing. Okay. All right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dropping uh, into the New York accent, sure. Cool. Here's the thing, everybody. <laughs> listen. <laughs> so, the original with Tobey Maguire was, <laughs> was amazing. <laughs> mm-hmm. I feel like it's classic. Like, I feel like that one's more timeless. Mm-hmm. Um, even though he's, like, clearly a 30-year-old pretending to be a high schooler or something. Um, so actually, he was 20-something, but... That's a standard for Hollywood. Exactly. Um, Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone, um, I felt like their version was very much current times, like, when it was made. I feel like it's kind of almost like a... People, maybe 15 years from now, will look back and be like, oh, that's kind of weird... But, <laughs> like, that's very indicative of the time. But it's still really fun. Like, it's so much fun to watch. It's so funny. Um, and I feel like the Maguire series was a little more serious. Um, and then you have uh, Tom Holland. Um, and he actually is a teenager, which is cool. And <laughs> he brings even more fun and lightheartedness to it, which is super Spider-Man. So it's like, you know what? It's all good. They're all just different, but they're all really fantastic. And um, I guess only Brits now for Spider-Man? That's... Well, I mean, I think you could have said for a while, only Brits for our our, our biggest our <laughs> biggest roles anyway. No, that's a good point. Um, or at least people who can pretend to be Brits like Robert Downey Jr. Mm. Um, I, although I guess it's debatable as to if you've seen the Sherlock Holmes movies, if you... He didn't come across as British to me. He didn't think? So. I don't know. Are you a Game of Thrones fan? I, you know, I started watching last season, and okay. I saw last week's episode. To be clear, you didn't just, like, start watching at last season, but you started... I saw a marathon. Oh, uh, okay. And then I was like, okay, I got it. Do you, th- do you think Peter Dinklage does a good English? Which, which one is that? He's Tyrion. He's the, he's the little person. Oh, cool. Yeah. He, wait, is he not British? No, yeah. he's He lives in a... Uh, I believe he lives in Brooklyn. What? Yeah. Okay, then yes, he's very good. <laughs> <laughs> he's very good. All right, I'm glad that everyone was able to witness Ali's revelation. <laughs> I was just able to surprise her with that information. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so okay, so then let's talk about a bit about a, a bit lip a teen movie podcast. Ooh, yes. Um, I, I posted your SoundCloud page on Facebook. I hope people were able to check it out. Yay! But if they didn't, mm-hmm. tell me a little bit about the podcast. How did it start? What do you what do you two do? What what's anything anything and everything about cool. it? Cool. That is 
Thank you. Excellent questions. Um, <laughs> so Genevieve is really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, she's also brilliant. Um, okay. I feel like I should just say that because anyway. Because she's tandem. listening right now. <laughs> <laughs> and by tandem, I meant tangent. <laughs> I studied English. Anyway, um, tangent. Uh, Genevieve uh, directed uh, me in a show, and she directed this other show that I stage managed, and like she's just brilliant. But that's mm-hmm. just a side note. You can cut that out if you want. Not going not. to. Nope. Perfect. Uh, <laughs> hopefully she does listen. <laughs> um, okay. So she was like, similar to you, she was like, you know, I want to like expand what I know about teen movies and the genre. Mm-hmm. Um, because like, you know, as a teenager, she would watch kind of some of them, but there's so many she didn't know about, especially, you know, in years before she was born or like, you know, things even now that are coming out. Uh, cause she's not a teenager. Uh, <laughs> so, so what she does is she has guests on, um, and she asks like, Hey, what's a teen movie you really love? And then, uh, they discuss it, they break it down and all that. So she actually asked me to be a guest originally. Um, and we we're going to talk about Twilight. Whoa. So- <laughs> Jim is rubbing his eyes. He's like, not a fan. Um, so we, uh, talked about Twilight and she was okay. like, yeah, that was fun. Do you want to like be a regular guest? I was like, Psh, Yeah. And then she was like, actually, do you want to be co-host? And I was like, sure. <laughs> so, so now we're co-hosts and we're gearing up for season two where you will hear Jim. What? What, what? I was, I was going to do the, the late third act twist about that. But oh, I guess we damn, can, you know. Sorry. That's, but that's, you know, Alfred Hitchcock was like, you know, tension is you see the bomb under the table and you wonder so. We, we planted the bomb under the table. Now people are going to wait for months to figure out when, how and when it's going to explode, I suppose. It's going to be a while, It's, it's, it's a very, yeah, very long fuse on this sticks yeah, of dynamite. Exactly. So then, on the podcast, are, are you... Because teen movies are kind of a thing which, uh, especially film people, can, can kind of be a little bit condescending about. I mean, you have those mm. people that's like, no, I love Save the Last Dance. You know, I loved it when I was a kid, and yeah, it sucks, but I love it anyway. Is, do you kind of have that approach of, like, accepting there's flaws with this? Or is it, like, a, like how do you kind of approach this genre which people are sort of like, whatever? Just like that. Jim, your questions today are just I've, I've A+. Been, plus. I've been doing this for a while. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> Not your first recording rodeo. Um, so, yeah, it's tricky. Like, I remember we, we actually were recording an episode where um, we watched the movie with the person who recommended it and then immediately after... <laughs> Um, started recording <laughs> and like as we're watching it she's saying to us oh my god I forgot this was in it I'm so sorry <laughs> yeah. this is really creepy uh-huh. and appropriate. Yep. Um, but like it's something that we just kind of talk about on the podcast anyway um, so like if there's an awkward you know if like there's a particular actor who has like a um, kind of messed up history post the film mm-hmm. uh, which I don't think we've had yet I could be wrong okay. um, or if there's just like an awkward thing happening in the film like in uh, just one of the guys I think it is that the younger sibling of the main character is so creepy. Like, mm-hmm. all he talks about is having sex with women, even though he's a virgin. And he's just like, all about that. And he has all these posters of naked women around his room. Oh. And he's creepy, always hitting on uh, the main character's best friend. So, we talked a lot about that. And we didn't shy away from it. So, <laughs> I mean, it's like, yeah. But as far as we do, I don't know. We like to make the film, um, we asked the person, like, why did you choose this one? What yeah. did it mean to you when you first watched it? Yeah, okay. Versus now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Because that's an important to, like, a contextual thing, uh, because people tend to forget about that. And it's also, I think it's, as much as there might have been shitty stuff in the past, which, 
it's kind of surprising. There was a lot of shitty stuff in the past <laughs> of cinema. Um, looking at you, I why did I just completely blank on that super Not racist? Weinstein? Oh, never mind. No, that super racist black and white film. Oh, oh, Birth film. of a Nation. Birth of a Nation. I, yeah. Oh my God. The first blockbuster. Wow, was. I've I've just I've officially uh, vetoed all my credibility as any type of <laughs> oh no film critic. You have to rebuild it starting now. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Birth of a Nation is going to be what what incites me into rebuilding my credibility as as a film critic. Um, but uh, because I think it is important to kind of recognize context and culture. With, with, like it's it's kind of like stupid and kind of like no, we're just gonna pretend it doesn't exist. Like, I don't know if you saw, um, they, when they re-air or when they re-release, like, old Looney Tunes cartoons, they have, like, a disclaimer now of, like, you know, these came out of a certain time and place, and, you know, we think it's important to kind of keep it as sort of, like, to show it how we've developed as a society or their attitudes, because old wow. Looney Tunes cartoons, can, some of them are super racist and, like, inoffensive. Oh, no. <laughs> so they, they are acknowledging, like, yes... This is troublesome, mm-hmm. um, but we're preserving it so that you can kind of see how like how we've come as a society, which I think is wow. pretty cool. Um, but I also say that as like a white cis man who is, you know, <laughs> I've I've always been on the privileged side of society. But mm. um, and I I remember because I know one of the films we talked about, like oh if I, if I if I'm gonna be on, what, maybe we could talk about ten things I hate about you. Yeah, which like its reputation has kind of still gone on. Is like oh this is a good movie, but then also. I, I remember, like, when I saw it, like, Julia Stiles' character was like, oh, she was this strong-willed, like, feminist character. But then in the end, like, their interpretation is kind of like, she just kind of gives that all up for yeah. a guy. It's like, oh, maybe this doesn't hold up super well. Darn it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, that's like the Taming of the Shrew, which it's based on. Yeah, yeah. we talked about that briefly. Yeah, and then also, fun little story uh, for everyone. Allie knows this already. Um, I took a Shakespeare course in college. <laughs> And um, movies have always been my thing, so in the sense of, like, if I could write a paper, like, uh, with the equivalency of, like, here's this famous piece of literature or play, and, like, here's its modern-day kind of inspiration, and blah, blah, blah. So when I was in, uh, I took a communications seminar course, and uh, I wrote a paper on, I think it was called Gender-Like Studies, which is basically how language is interpreted differently based if it comes from a male or a female and who's Whoa. listening to it. So I'm like, Billy Wilder, some like it hot. It's dudes pretending to be women, so all their like all their language is interpreted through like people are like, I'm talking to a girl right now. <laughs> hot dang. So in Shakespeare, I was like, I, I need to find something to write about, and I saw 10 Things I Hate About You. I'm like, oh my god, there's so many great parallels to The Taming of the Shrew. I'm going to write about this paper. Uh, I'm going to write about this for the paper. And then someone was actually like, uh, you know it's a direct adaptation. <laughs> I was like, oh. Oh, okay. So I had to ditch the entire paper. And I ended up writing about uh, Othello. And my, I did not do well on that. Oh, I'm sorry about yeah, that. Yeah, it was fine. But that's, that's neither here nor I have another side note. Okay. <laughs> Speaking of Othello, Paul Robeson, Rutgers University's most prestigious alum, mm. played Othello on Broadway. And that was the longest running Shakespearean play in Broadway history. Interesting. Mm-hmm. How, I know this because I'm a Rutgers grad. How else would I know Paul Robeson? Um, he sang Old Man River. And uh, he, well, here's the thing. It's it, it would make sense if you didn't know him because he was actually very famous for a while, and then the McCarthy era hit, and mm-hmm. he went to Russia, was treated like a human. So he's a black man, and he was treated like yeah. a human there, whereas he was living here, yeah. um, with all the racism. So he said like, yeah, you know, 
Stalin. Stalin's not so bad. So, <laughs> which is a little naive. <laughs> and um, so, like, you know, he was blacklisted and they revoked his passport so he couldn't do concerts all around the world, which he was doing. Jeez. Oh, yeah, he his reputation trashed. Um, but luckily, uh, he he's coming back. He's coming back. Um, and history's looking at him in a much lighter view. Mm-hmm. And which is so cool. They There's this great article that compares him to Woodrow Wilson at Princeton. So you have Rutgers and Princeton, which is this long rivalry. Oh. And then you have Woodrow Wilson, who used to be like the big, like, uh, Princeton guy. <laughs> and now you have Robeson, who, like, was forgotten by Rutgers and now is being held up in such high esteem. And Woodrow Wilson's like, oh, he was bad. <laughs> <laughs> so Princeton feels guilty now. <laughs> it's like this awkward, funny thing. <laughs> okay. So we got we got your 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 movie phantom down. We got mm-hmm. your podcast down. Yeah. I guess we should maybe talk a little bit about the subject we're talking about. George A. Romero, may he rest in peace. Yeah. Until he comes back. Of course. As a That's zombie, a obviously. <laughs> um, but uh, vampires. Yeah, yeah. But uh, talk to me a little bit about George Romero because when I uh, peek behind the curtain, uh, ladies and gentlemen, and everyone in between. When I email a guest, sometimes I'll email a guest and be like, hey, I heard that you want to talk about this. Or I'll just kind of email and be like, who can you talk about? Mm-hmm. Um, and Allie, like one of the first ones, you're like, George Romero. I'm like, well, that'd be more suitable for Halloween. But cool. I love I love George Romero. Mm-hmm. Um, I got Allie saw it. I got the yeah. Night of Living Dead poster hanging right right over here. Epic. Um, so I guess like George Romero, what is it about? Like what was the first kind of exposure to you in the moment where it's like, oh my God, who is this? Or, or who was who the driving force behind this thing? So, um, I started, <laughs> it's actually pretty recent, I started watching The Walking Dead, you know, oh, yeah. a couple of seasons after it started, Okay. and I was kind of obsessed, I was like, oh my god, this is so cool, bah! Um you, you might have started watching right around the time that I quit, because I quit after season three. Oh, wow. Yeah. Damn. And everyone's like, no, you should get back into it, it's really good. I'm like, a show shouldn't take three seasons to be really good. <laughs> So, <laughs> see, I disagree. I think my favorite two seasons are the first two. Actually, we're we're gonna have words off, Mike, because <laughs> season two is legitimately one of the worst seasons of TV I've ever seen. <laughs> I love it though. I love but it so so much. so much so that I tried to. I have no clout or, or influence whatsoever, but I tried to start a Twitter war with Glenn Mazzara, who was the showrunner at that time. And he was so nice. It was because <laughs> he'd retweet and I'd be like, "Hey, this episode was shit." Blah, blah, blah. And he'd retweet like, "Tune in next week. I think we got something good, bro." And like, he was just oh, so earnest. I'm like, ah, "That's so nice." Ah, blast you! And now, from what I understand, uh, the extras TV show, which I believe he was showrunning, is good. I think so. You know, good for him. There you go. But, sorry, go ahead. Anyway. Oh man, that's <laughs> that's really funny. Okay, <laughs> that's how you went into Twitter. Why we're being nice? <laughs> good to know. <laughs> yeah. Um. Okay. So I was like, you know, I want to get more into, like, zombie history. Oh, man. Okay. So um, I was like, what's this Night of the Living Dead? Sounds interesting. I've always been curious to watch it. Mm -hmm. So um, I watched that maybe sometime in college. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, that was just so awesome. Like, I loved watching it. I made my girlfriend at the time and my uh, roommate watch it. And they were like, this is so depressing. (laughs) Why would you do this to us? Pretty bleak. Um, and I was like, cause it's so great. Mm-hmm. Whoa. And I, because like two, and this is, I mean, I'm full of side notes, but this is kind of related. Um, something I noticed about some of Romero's films is that for the main characters, he, he'll take somebody who isn't typically like examined. Um, yeah. and in that era with, um, 
racism, I mean, it's still bad, but with Jim Crow and everything, having a black man be yeah. one of the lead characters is like, what? Which, which also, he, he's always insisted, like, he, I just cast the best guy for the part. Right. Um, but that doesn't make it any less, like, subversive or, I guess, progressive or that kind of thing. It's right. like, well, awesome, too. But then it's sort of like, this is fucking egalitarianism or, like, or equity, so it's yeah. pretty, still pretty awesome. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then, uh, with, I mean, we'll get into it later, but with Monkey Shines having, uh, a person who becomes paraplegic as the lead, that's like, you never see that. That's a pretty good point. Um, and then with Season of the Witch, it was in the 1970s, mm-hmm. early 70s, and it's like, a housewife as the lead and she has secret powers? Like, <laughs> what's that about? Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it, that's just something that was interesting and appealing to me. Uh, when I watched Night of the Living Dead, was having these two characters, um, you know, a black man and then a white woman, who unfortunately was very weak. But, has know. no real agency, yeah. <laughs> yeah, just... right. <laughs> um, but it's okay. I think he rewrote it later, and I haven't seen the remake, but I think he uh, made her take more control. Yeah, and the, the Tom Savini one, which admittedly it's been a long time, I, I don't care for it, uh, or at least I didn't. Uh, but yeah, uh, Barbara is is much more of a uh, a strong-willed woman who is uh, the survi- not just the survivor at the end, but like she's got guns and she has the very on the nose comment when she sees the zombies and like they're us it's like yeah we, <laughs> <laughs> thanks for making the subtext the yeah. actual text tom savini but oh man yeah uh but and, and it's funny because my i'm gonna trade you stories here so actually my first exposure to george romero was sort of indirect because my first uh of the dead film was return of the living dead Ooh. which is not affiliated with Romero, but it's actually kind of a parody of it in the in 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 the sense of there's a dialogue scene in if you haven't seen it where they reference this zombie outbreak in like this little town and like it's very tongue in cheek that they're like Ooh. winking at the and it, and it's like more of a horror comedy but I remember watching it with my brother and I think it might have been late at night because I I couldn't stay up like we couldn't stay up to finish watching it but we kind of made bets to ourselves like. Who do you think is going to be the one to survive? (laughs) Um, And I thought that there's an African-American lead in in that one as well. And I Mm -hmm. thought he was going to be the one to survive because like he he was badass. He was awesome. Like he was taking charge. He was like, Mm -hmm. he was like pushing back on these people. And he had a, I forget what my brother's guess was. And then of course at the end, they all die because they drop a (laughs) missile on the town. (laughs) And and everyone dies. uh, But then like uh, the, like it's... You're meant to believe that, like, the acid rain that causes zombies is, like, it's just, is this cycle is going to start all over again. Because oh, um, yeah. the very last shot is this, like, skeleton rising from the grave and, like, opening its mouth. And then it's, like, this rock shot. Do you want a party? <laughs> it, like, cuts the credits. Um, How appropriate. We're having a party right we're now. We're having a party this right a now. Party. Yes. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm not sure if you, Allie, or the listeners are familiar with, uh, you remember Project Greenlight, that show years ago? Uh, mm-hmm. They they brought it back I think last year, but it was basically sort of like uh, I mean Project Runway, but for filmmakers. And oh, that's cool. One of the winners of I think season three uh, was this guy John Gulliger, um, who directed a horror film called Feast, and he was a director on like the subsequent uh, sequels. His dad, Clue Gulliger, was a character actor, uh, like longtime character actor who was in uh, Return of the Living Dead as one of the guys that like survives to the very end. Uh, well, until, until the missile drives him. <laughs> but, but it was just, but it was still that thing of like this idea of this small group of survivors trying to fight it. Like that was so intriguing to me. And yeah. I remember then later on in life kind of seeing Night of the Living Dead on TV and it was just, it was the black and white and it was a yeah. scene where it's kind of near the end when they were trying to gas up the truck and like the gas explodes. Oh, and that's sort yes. of like the beginning of the end and just kind of seeing that and just being like, 
this is such a stark imagery of this this black guy with like this this torch trying to fight off the and I'm just like and I was so like enthralled by yeah. it. Um, and then later on, uh, you know, kind of got into it, watched Day of the Dead and Dawn of the Dead and all that kind of stuff. But we're not talking about any of those movies. <laughs> Whoops. We're not talking about any of those movies. So, and this is actually what why it was so interesting that I wanted to talk about this topic because typically when you think of George Romero, I mean, the dude basically invented the the zombie genre basically. Yeah. But that wasn't all that he did. Mm-hmm. And a lot of his other stuff is sort of overlooked. So um, I'm kind of curious as to kind of get your thoughts. And if we can, let's avoid spoilers about the topics we're going to be talking about later. Ooh, okay. But um, just kind of kind of more general topics of like, when you think of George Romero as like a director or a writer, what kind of stands out to you? Because it's like, mm-hmm. he's not just a zombie guy, but that's what everybody thinks of him as. Right. So like, what else is it about it for you that's like, this guy. This is this is what you're gonna get from a George Romero film. Ooh, all right, you're gonna get people named Judy. <laughs> you're gonna yeah. get people named Alan. Mm-hmm. Um, something else I noticed, which was very interesting, was in most of the films that I watched, not just the three that you know we're gonna talk about. Red is in almost every shot. Mm-hmm. Oh, the really? color red. Yeah, mm. I was like, is that accidental? But like, it just kept appearing in the films, and I was like, I guess not. <laughs> like, <laughs> that seems pretty intentional. Um, another thing in um, season of the witch and in uh, two evil eyes in that first story mm-hmm. uh, of the two, there, there's like an emphasis on figurines mm-hmm. in in the camera, and I wasn't exactly sure what that meant, but I like. Very clear close-ups on that. <laughs> and, and, like, statues and stuff. Um, but I think, overall, I think the biggest thing is the theme of what makes us human and when is it okay to kill a human? Okay, yeah. <laughs> when is that okay? Mm-hmm. That is That is really, yeah, because even thinking of, like, uh, I mean, he did, he was the director on the original The Crazies, which yes. it's, that one's not great. Um <laughs> Uh, it's, it, it's so similar to Night of the Living Dead. And that's, that's the kind of problem with it. It's like, it's good, but also because Living Dead came out already, it's like, eh, did we need this? Yeah. Um, I will say the remake with Brett Geisner and Timothy Oliphant, I, I think it's underrated. I think it's pretty good. I wanted to watch that. Couldn't find it. It's pretty good. I have it, I have it over, uh, it's on my Blu-ray somewhere. Nice. Somewhere over there in the seas. It's all arranged alphabetically. Oh my gosh, that's fancy. <laughs> <laughs> um, thanks to my girlfriend, Emma, she was the one that did that. I went out nice. and I came back and everything was arranged. Like, you're like, oh, sweet, okay. <laughs> Damn. Um, but, uh. But I mean, the, the crazies is very much a thing. Like it, it's he kind of tries to make it clear in the movie, like these aren't zombies, but yeah. they're also not regular people either. Right. And there is an element in in a lot of the films that he does is sort of <clears throat> that idea of what is human and dehumanizing. Because even in at the beginning of Dawn of the Dead, when they're raiding those projects, mm-hmm. and you have that one cop who just basically is like. He's thrown out every racial epithet that you possibly can. And he even, like, kicks in the door and just blows that guy's yeah. head off. Like, just no consideration to it whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, this is this it's is a that. human. Yeah. So then, what makes us better than those, basically? Mm-hmm. Um, and now, do you think... Because I, I tend to be this kind of person where I'm like, oh, the auteur theory and the director is everything, blah, blah, blah. But... Romero also had influence on his scripts and like wrote a lot of his stuff. So when you think of Romero, do you first think of him as a director or a writer for you? I yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> I've been doing this for a while. <laughs> no. We're having fun at this party. Party! 
Ew. Oh man, drinking that fancy Italian <laughs> sparkling water. It, it's from yeah, it's from Whole Foods. So. Oh right. Yeah. Well, it's not Perrier. It's just Italian. It's literally called Italian sparkling mineral water. <laughs> so I'm not that fancy. All right. Well, still, that's what made it a party. It's uh, until you're finished with that drink, we're having a party. <laughs> um. So, yeah, I think I kind of, I feel like I can't separate the two mm. too much. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like he's a writer-director. Yeah. Um, because the films that he's most known for are The Living Dead Ones, and he wrote those. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes co-wrote, but like, you know, I don't know. But he mostly, I think he directed more than he wrote, so. Yeah. I guess, I guess I'd say director. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> and then, so then, are, are there, because you already kind of mentioned, like, the red and the figurines, but, like, we, we like to typically classify directors, like, here's his style or here's his thing. And I gotta be honest, correct, not even correct me, but, like, in your opinion, do you do you notice things about, like, a George Romero? Because, I mean, mm-hmm. someone watches um, The Crazies or Martin or that sort of thing, and so sort of, like, you, you in theory, you'd notice... Here's his directing things that, you know, he did in the Living Dead movies where he's doing now. Mm. And maybe I just haven't paid enough attention that I'm like, I never really noticed if he had those kind of similarities or if we're just kind of trying to tell a story, basically. Yeah, oh, that, she, one. She's, <laughs> that she's one. She's pointing at okay. <laughs> that one. Yeah. And that's something I noticed, too. I was like, in all the stories, there were such different stories and they were told in such different ways because mm. what I got from him, the impression was George Romero is going to tell a film the way that particular film needs to be told he's mm-hmm. not going to tell it the way oh i'm going to tell it like this like in season of the witch it's it's intercut with all these dream sequences and and you start to think like oh what's real what isn't like and the the camera like it's very disorienting um but that's like the type of situation that the main character is in mm-hmm. so that makes sense and then um with monkey shines like when the main character runs in the beginning of the film and then when the monkey is running later you're from that point of view mm-hmm. And, like, that makes sense. And, you know, it's just very interesting. The tones of each of the pieces are also very different because it calls for that. So I just think that he was just a great storyteller because he would do whatever it needed at the time. Mm-hmm. And now you are, I mean, you got your Star Wars stuff on. We're, we were talking about Harry Potter off mic. <laughs> um, we're talking about George Romero now. We're clearly genre fans. Yes. What is it like, so what, I mean, what is it about genre stories? Because I'm sure, I mean, you're also, you're, you just, Allie just got cast in a Romeo and Juliet production. I did. So, I mean, um, and that's, that's, I mean, I guess you can turn that story into a genre thing, but it's, it's kind of genre-less, I think, to a certain degree. I guess, I guess Shakespearean people can disagree with me on that, but what is it about genre stories that kind of draws you in? Because I gotta be honest, like, if Romero was just kind of making, like, a character-driven, like, John Cassavetes type of thing, I don't care. I'm not interested. (laughs) But, like, I I want, I'm drawn in because of he works in horror. Like, that's his milieu, basically. Man, I've never thought of that until yeah. you just said it. I, I guess I am a genre fan. Yeah. It's wild. I mean, that makes total sense. <laughs> My life is explained. Yeah, I hope. I hope you go and think it. You're like you're having an existential crisis. I hope right now you're like, what? What is? Yeah. What is my life? It, I I just went through it all in in that second. If you watched behind my eyes, that's what you saw. Um, <laughs> geez, I guess. <sighs> I think the things, okay, right off the top of my head, Mm -hmm. that Harry Potter, Star Wars, um, you know, horror films all have in common are adventure. Mm. And I was thinking, too, like Indiana Jones, because, like, those are fun. Well, sure, yeah, totally. (laughs) Yeah. Very much, like, the stakes are ridiculously high. It's life or death all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Literally all the time, yeah. It's a clear delineation between good and evil. 
Yeah. Unless you're talking about George Romero films, actually. Like, if you if you think about it, you know, ooh, let's uh, think deeper. Okay. I think it's blurrier okay. in Romero films, which is really cool about him. But, like, and also in the last Star Wars film, they tried to make it blurry. Yeah. I don't think they succeeded, but... <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, like, typically a good, clear good versus evil. Um, and, like... Another thing I like, something you said earlier with like survivors banding together. Mm-hmm. That's like my favorite thing. And Order of the Phoenix is my favorite Harry Potter. Oh, okay. Because like it's friends like fighting crime yeah, together, okay. like fighting the evil people. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> that's no, that's interesting. I, I've always, I've always liked it for the same that I can watch a like a really great drama that's just like human drama and like emotions and i'll I'll think like this is amazing i get me the fuck out of here though like i don't (laughs) i don't like once the movie's done like okay it was just a movie but then naively i'll watch like day of the dead or something i'll be like well no because day of the dead is kind of like once everything has kind of gone out of control but like i'll watch dawn of the dead and be like i think i could equip my like i think i'd survive like i think i'd do okay And, and just kind of this thing of like I'm more invested in those because, like, I put myself in the situation, mm. and it's like, yeah, and I'm, you know, I've got Max Brooks, I got like Zombie Survival Guide and World War Z, so it's like, I, th- I think I could do okay. Yeah. Um, and and it's really like the um, uh, the suspension of disbelief comes like uh, so much easier for me in those kind of things. Yeah. And I, I think it just hits on something which is so primal and built in with. I mean, Shakespeare, like, how, like plays have been going on for yeah. what as long as language has existed, probably. Probably. <laughs> but, 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 I don't know. <laughs> probably. Um, but yeah, and, that, and that's um, that's and that's and something that's super fascinating to me. Um, do I have any more questions about George Romero, I guess? I don't know. Well, I guess let's even narrow it. I mean... Sure. Um, horror, mm-hmm. specifically. Yes. Like, what draws you to that? Because... And like, because even... Uh, can you remember, like, even as you you talked about seeing Spider Man when you were ten? And sure, mm-hmm. feels super old here and that because I was definitely in high school when that was happening. <laughs> um, but also, do you remember like your first experience with like a horror movie? Mm-hmm. Um, like, I because I can tell you, it's it's not the earliest memory, but one of the earliest ones, stumbling upon The Exorcist on TV. Oh lord! And <laughs> I had I I couldn't have been any older than I'm gonna say, maybe twelve, I guess. And it was the specifically the spider walk sequence down oh, the stairs. No. I turned that shit off right away, and like I went to the safety of something else. But I kept thinking like, but what's going on in the movie? Like I want to know like what's yeah. going. On. And like it, I was scared, but I still wanted to like be exposed to it. I, like I still wanted to know. What do you have something like that? Um, that's like every horror film in general <laughs> for me. Like I'm, <laughs> I didn't really start watching scary horror films until. Uh, probably high school or college mm-hmm. because I was too afraid. Like, but I still wanted to watch. Like, the scariest things for me were "Are You Afraid of the Dark" on Nickelodeon. Oh my god, yes! Such, such oh. a good show. Yes. But the one that scared me the most. There's like a vampire family, and they had a basement where they slept. Oh. I had nightmares about like going into that basement, and they would attack me. <laughs> and so I was afraid to go in my own basement, even though it was like a beautiful finished basement. I was just like, yeah. nope. They're gonna get me. Yep. Um, so that and then Truth or Scare with Michelle Trachtenberg. I think that's her. I, I don't think I've ever heard of that one. Well, hot damn, Jim. Truth or Scare. Look that up. I'm, I'm, right I'm now. looking it up right now. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, that stuff was always creepy. Like they would talk about like 
here's a true haunted site of historical accuracy. Like, this was a battlefield. And, like, you know, people say if they walk the streets, they'll see this person after midnight or whatever. Like, oh, okay. So it, oh it's, God, it's it seems like it was almost... Okay. Um, do you remember the days before Freeform was called Freeformers, ABC Family? Yes. And they used to do, like, the 13 days of Halloween. Yes. And they had, like, the scariest places on Earth. <gasps> I never watched them. And not narrated... <laughs> Pretty awesome, and it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't narrated by, but they had some episodes where the woman I, I forget the actress's name, but she played the psychic in Poltergeist, uh, Zelda something short little one with like a very distinctive voice. Mm-hmm. She would read like the title cards that were, oh, and it no, was no. so evocative and no. amazing. <laughs> um, and, and so it seemed like that's that's the that's the kind of thing because it was sort of like. Uh, but the, I, I think the thing with scariest places on earth was they would send. It was almost like MTV Sphere where they would send people oh, okay. there. That's cool. Um, but no, and that oh, that's and you mentioned Are You Afraid of the Dark? So I'd be remiss if I didn't say, I believe to this day I think it was still the Tale of the Cold Ghost. It was called. Oh God. And. Don't remember the background. So I'm my I'm getting chills oh, no. just like thinking about no. it. But it was just a it was um it was some haunted house where like uh, every now and again this girl would kind of see this little ah the goosebumps in me. damn. Um, but like it was just this little boy ghost that would show up and it was all dark and he was pale white and he would just say like I'm cold and, I, and like no. and it was like I could <laughs> as a kid did not get through the entire episode like could wow. not wow. even though that was geared but it was once again it was like I can't do this. But I'm so curious about what is going on, um, and and it's funny too because I feel like in a way <laughs> that's kind of contrary to what Romero does because it's sort of like um, here is what would happen and here's how it's fucking terrible. At least in, in the sense of <laughs> yeah. like that's what I kind of love about the his his uh, Living Dead film or the Dead films is basically like it's you know from night to I suppose Diary, but I don't like to talk about Diary of the Dead very much. There is that progression of like, no, here's how things are going to change and here's how society is going to devolve. And yeah. it's it's like terrible, but not in the sense of like, ooh, I can't watch. More in the sense of like, this is so bleak and awful and yeah. uh, there's no hope for us, is there? <laughs> um, I remember uh, seeing Land of the Dead when it came out that summer, which was unfortunately the same summer as War of the Worlds and Batman Begins. Ooh. So everybody was talking about those movies. I'm like, oh, did anyone see man. Land of the Dead? And they're like what oh, man. <laughs> like, yeah it was it was kind of a bummer like his i think his only mainstream studio release and it tanked because no one saw it and i was like that sucks i'm there like i'm there yeah. um that was unfortunate i guess but... man no oh, um okay timing is everything that's, it, that's what my mom always says timing is everything does she say that when you show up late for things and you're like Allie? actually she should <laughs> <laughs> but no um so then I guess, uh, we, I, I suppose we can kind of get into the more specific ones, but before we start talking specifically about the titles, I have a little, it's a little thought exercise that I have, which is basically, um, whenever we're talking about a specific filmmaker, I like, I like to ask the person, and now the person is you. Oh, wow. Because you're here. Oh my God, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> um, what would be a George Romero film you would want to see? And that could be... One that, like, he started and didn't finish, or one that, like, you know, uh, he wrote the Resident Evil script, and then that was taken away from him. Or even just, like, hmm, I would have liked to have seen this film, but directed by George Romero instead. Oof. What would be the George Romero film you would like to see? Dang. <laughs> That's because I have heard you ask this before, but mm-hmm. I didn't think. I didn't think. Yeah. I didn't prepare. Yeah. Okay, I got this. Uh, I, I used to let I, I used to prepare people for it to give them time to think about it. I'm like, no, I don't want to do that. I want to, I want to spring it on them instead. Yeah. Dang, I should have thought about this. Um, 
Well, okay. Mm-hmm. Here's a little thing. Okay. So, George Romero passed away in July 2017. Yeah. Which was also the first time I broke up with someone. Oh. So, you know, it was a lot of sadness. Sure. <laughs> um, but around that same time, George, Jordan Peele actually released Get Out, I think. Or, like, it was that same year. Yeah, yeah. So, I was like, wow. I felt, in a way, the baton was picked up. Um, I'm sure. So, I felt like it was kind of perfect timing. But also bittersweet because, like, George Romero was dead. Um, so... That being said, I think that the both of them took horror films very seriously, obviously, and like they see them as a way of being a social commentary. Mm-hmm. Um, I think everything Jordan Peele does is amazing, but it would be interesting to see if like if Romero did us. Like, have you seen it yet? I, yeah, I have. Uh... There's already Red in it, so he doesn't have to add it. <laughs> <laughs> There's someone named Red. It's perfect. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's just off the top of my head, like. I wonder what he would have done with that concept. Um, and, and especially because I know, like, a lot of themes that Romero deals with is sort of societal or, like, not not explicitly urban decay, but certainly mm-hmm. societal decay. Right. And us certainly deals with that sort of thing of, like, a, of uh, a suppressed... Um, society or you know population that kind of thing that would yeah. be especially if you like if you set that in uh you know urban pittsburgh or whatever or, or <laughs> like, like or, or say yeah just just like everything else it does <laughs> or even sort of like st louis or detroit or something where like a city which had like an identity at one point that is now crumbled and Ooh. done and sort of like what's happening there mm-hmm. that could have been uh pretty interesting. but i don't want to say Listen, Jordan Peele did a fabulous job oh, in that yeah. movie, too, so it's, it's yeah. not so like... Yeah, it's not like it should have been Ramirez. It's just like, <laughs> it would be interesting to see what he would do, because mm-hmm. also they're both very apocalyptic, and it's in the same questions of who, who is human, who is okay to kill, who, yeah. who should survive, you know. And I think both... And obviously, I mean, you see where Jordan Peele is coming at it from uh, from the perspective of, a, of, a, of an African-American guy, but they both are, yes. I think, are very pessimistic about society like they they are yeah. like they're, like they're both kind of they they and it makes sense with peel uh producing the twilight zone but it seemed like they were both like um uh rod serling fans like yep twilight zone was like yeah humanity is completely awful <laughs> um and here's why yeah because none yeah. Of, like i mean dawn of the dead ends quote-unquote happily at least in the sense that our two leads are alive right. but it's they don't know where they're going. Yeah, the helicopter's no. almost out of gas. Like, tomorrow they're going to die. It's, yeah. Uh, <laughs> we just uh, don't see it. Dwayne Jones is killed at the Night of the Dead, and there's a whole lot of, like, lynching imagery. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. D- uh, well, I guess Day of the Dead's kind of... Because they end up on, like, a desert island, and they're, like, fishing, but it's still... Yeah, still... Yeah. The threat is there. Like, and they're on an island. Like, yeah. where are they going to go? But even then, the victories are sort of intimate and personal and not like larger. Like, everything is terrible. Like, yeah. you know, th- these... Like, because even at the end of Us, like, the fan... Don't oh, want to say. Oh, no, don't want to say. Don't want to say. No spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no at the end of us, uh, the credits roll. Yep. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> uh, but like, th- there is this kind of thing of like a, an individual or like a, a family structure, or something like they'll survive, but that doesn't mean that there's right. larger hope or anything. Right. Um, I think, uh, and you know what's interesting? So, uh, I. Years ago, I went to Pittsburgh because my brother uh, went to grad school there. He lived there for a little bit. So I went to the Monroeville Mall where they filmed oh, uh, Dawn of the Dead. That's pretty cool. It looks absolutely nothing like uh, the mall. Because obviously that was filmed in the 70s when, yeah. you know, malls were kind of a new thing. Yeah. It's been through so and many... probably asbestos. 
let's be real. <laughs> yeah. Uh, went through many reservations. And even, like, the ice skating rink where, like, you know, that is now a food court. Oh. Um, but they have, like, a little plaque and, like, a picture of, like, Romero was filmed there and that kind of thing. And they still have, like, I think a, a zombie convention, like, okay. there every year. That's cool. Um, but, yeah, but Pittsburgh is interesting, too, because it is a city that um, had an, an, a strong industrial yeah. identity. And it's, like... What are what are we now? Like all the industry has left. It's, it's like it's the Pittsburgh Steelers now, basically. Yeah. And even Steelers is hinting towards like, oh, remember when this city was great for this thing, and now, yeah. now it's dead. What are we doing here? Um, and it's not living. It's an undead city. What? Um, but I think I have I have a two part answer for what I would have liked to see George Romero do. Mm, um, number one, and I don't even know what specifically it would look like, but. Uh, Showtime a few years ago had uh, the show called Masters of Horror that Mick Garris created and like executive produced and it was basically it was these horror shorts that like you know these famous legendary and I, I use legendary loosely because when, when you had the, the director of fear.com do one of your oh. installments like oh, are they really Masters of Horror? Um, but you know the, uh, Mick Garris had stuff in there um, I was John Lane I, I have complicated feelings about John Lynch but like he had stuff in there um Joe Dante um in season two Brad Anderson who did like session nine um Trans Siberian has this so it was like it was these cool little things and I just I would have loved to see have seen Romero do mm-hmm. an installment because like Wes Craven was absent uh George ah. Romero was absent so it's like who were you know yeah, there were some what? of these people that were nah. missing um you need those two at least it, you would you would think so yeah what? um they did have John Carpenter John Garbiner was in was okay. in both seasons right. as well. Um, Cigarette Burns was his one in season one, which is fucking crazy. Um, Ooh, Udo excited. Udo Kier at one point kind of like feeds his guts into like the reel of a projector. Yeah. <laughs> um, <Okay. laughs> Only a filmmaker. Would be yeah, like, no, Let's it's, do this. it's uh, and uh, as a Walking Dead fan, Norman Reedus is the lead in it, so what? it's kind of a cool premise. That's like, cool. It's basically um, this this collector of rare antiquities sort of like hires Norman Reedus, who's like this. He's not really a PI, but, like, he knows how to find things. He's, like, there's this very rare film, which apparently it was footage of, like, an angel being tortured. I want to find it. But, like, the the legend is also, like, oh, but everyone who's had it has kind of, like, gone insane and killed themselves. So Ooh. Norman Reedus is hired to find this reel. Wow. Um, and it's it's not pleasant. That's not, I want to watch <laughs> it's, it. Though. It's pretty cool. Um, <laughs> but I would have loved to have seen him do something in there. And then, also, famously, I mentioned already... He wrote uh, the first script for the Resident Evil movie yes. that Paul W. S. Anderson ended up making. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I would have I would have preferred to see what his yeah. thing would have been um, because Resident Evil, the video game, doesn't exist without George Romero existing first. So yeah. it's almost kind of like a slap uh, in the face to not accept that script, right? And but the but the script is available online. Like you can oh, easily sweet. find it. Um, and for cool. you listeners, I'll post it on the Facebook page um, so that you can go look at it. I full disclosure, I haven't read it yet either. Oh, okay, um, cool. Let's read it together. Let's <laughs> yeah. play all the characters. <laughs> Different voices. It'll be like the audiobook. Okay. Yup. So, uh, so that's our, our largest question. So now we're going to get into the specific topics. Well, the specific titles that we're going to talk about. And if you've been paying close attention, you've already kind of know which titles Allie's going to be talking about here in these non-living dead recommendations. So, Allie, your first recommendation, and you can do it in any order you want. Most people kind of go chronologically. Sure, um, but you can you can basically do whatever you want. So your first recommendation for a non-living dead film from George Romero is Season of the Witch, otherwise known as Hungry Wives, otherwise known as Jack's Wife. Um, Season of the Witch, otherwise known as the movie that I thought 
okay, you're making a mistake. He didn't make one called Season of the Witch. Until then, I'm like, oh, no, no. He did a, he did a movie called Season of the Witch. Because <laughs> yeah. um, I'm like, did, did she, that's like the Nicolas Cage song. movie. Yeah. Oh, uh, God. Or it was the original title. I, I think it was the original working title of Scorsese's Mean Streets until he changed it to Mean Streets. I did not know that. Um, but I didn't know. Yeah, so, so Season of the Witch. And uh, IMDb describes it as a bored, unhappy suburban housewife gets mixed up in witchcraft and murder. <laughs> You know, pretty pretty typical. As, as board of housewives are wants to do, you know. That's what I'm. So saying. tell, okay, so why why is this one that you're recommending to me? What is it about season which you're like you got to see this one? Well, I think the whole um, as I said earlier, um, you have uh, a housewife, which mm-hmm. I I mean I, I wasn't alive in the seventies. I don't know like what kinds of movies were out you, there. You were barely alive in the nineties. That hey, ninety two. <laughs> all right. I said barely. I, I I understood what overalls were. I, I lived it. Um, so, anywho. Um, so, yeah. So, I don't know, like, what other movies were kind of about in that time, other than, like, Star Wars, you know. Mm, sure. Of course. Um, a lot of stuff about the Vietnam War, too. Oh, uh, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. But I figure... <laughs> Proceed, sorry. <laughs> That's fine. But I figure a movie about a housewife who, like, wants to practice witchcraft is pretty unknown and you know not well like not done ever um so i thought that makes sense to show us well is it is it so i mean let's uh let's clear the air a little bit here it's like she she's a character she willingly takes on this is like she's like i'm instead of like she's a victim of witchcraft and gets right or like this or and that's a question there's supposed to be a question mark yeah And, you know, honestly, there's still a question mark. Oh, okay. Well, here's the thing. Okay. So, like, that's the part of the way the story was told out. It's very disorienting. And, like, it starts off, you know, she's in the woods Mm -hmm. with her husband. And, oh, my God, the imagery is so cool where he's, like, got her on a leash. And he's, like, you know, like, oh, you go, is this too much? No, I'm, like, I'm just trying to contextualize how does, why... How and why does a husband put a wife on a leash in a literal sense of the word? Right. Because it turns out she actually was dreaming it. Okay. Okay. So that's that's why. But it's like a metaphor for how he treats her. You know, like when you see them mm-hmm. together okay. in reality, he's beating her. He's yelling at her. Like, you know. Um, and so she wants to get out of it. And she hears, like, she's in this you know, party with other housewives. Um, and she, she, like, you could tell, like, just the way the camera's shooting at all it's like she doesn't really want to be there mm-hmm. um and she's just kind of there because you know she's a housewife too and whatever um so one of the people there hey that's my water <laughs> so she, she's talking to neville the cat not not to me i'm not trying to take <laughs> neville uh the the my my well my girlfriend's cat has a uh, has joined us in the recording and she's quite curious as to what oh we're doing she's so pretty yeah she's she's a uh, super adorable genevieve has cats yeah yeah hi dear Okay. Sorry. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, they, oh, up, up, yep. she's, the mic. she's found the mic. Found the mic. All right. Anyway, continue. So, um, so she's at this party and, uh, someone kind of, it's almost like an offhanded, oh yeah, this new person who, uh, that I know it practices witchcraft. Yep. <laughs> it's just like, that's weird. Thanks for, you know, um, throwing it out there all nonchalant <laughs> so she becomes curious and she goes and she visits and what's confusing to me is like all right she visits her they're talking for a bit um it's more i'm pretty sure the her housewife friend talking to this witch than it is even the main character and yet 
like she does drugs later and mm-hmm. then all of a sudden there's like this guy intruding on her home but not really but yes but is it happening <laughs> <laughs> is it the devil or is it a particular demon i couldn't even make out the name of said demon oh because they said it and it didn't make sense to me i'd never heard anything like that name before okay is it where did it where did i find it well anywho um Sorry, I, I mean, I, I don't know if IMDb was, a, is it is it Sergeant Fraser? <laughs> nope. Okay, well then I'd, snap uh, that, that was my only guess. Okay. Um, so it's like, does she be, is she, mm, basically it's like this invader keeps coming into her home and she's dreaming the same thing and as the dreams progress, she like becomes smarter, so, um, and it's funny because I also was like, oh yeah, like, you know that the guy who breaks in, like, uh, he keeps the door shut mm-hmm. with, like, cloth or something. Okay. So, like, bring scissors so you can, like, escape. So the next time she dreams it, she grabs scissors and it's chains instead. And she's like, <laughs> oh, she, so she can't leave. Mm-hmm. It's, like, really cool, the progression. Um, But, like, anyway... Should I not give the ending away? No, you absolutely should not, because I have to watch it and, and, it, and and yeah, and right. I have not seen this movie. So. Oh, okay, it's interesting, but basically, it's like it's some. It's because of the use of psycho psychedelic drugs. It's hard to tell what is happening. Um, so, is it really rich witchcraft, or is it just like her doing these things that she would do if she were uninhibited? Oh, um, that's, an, that's an interesting yeah. approach. Well, and especially because like. Witchcraft, uh, in in at least in movies, has been something which can typically. I don't want to say that witchcraft is empowering to women, but at least it, at least in a horror film context, it can kind of be a way to give a woman agency and to kind of like rebel against a patriarchal system. Like, yeah. I'm gonna be a witch and I'm gonna be magic and I'm gonna fucking kill all of you people. <laughs> right. Um, and you know, and because even and you know, go back as far as the Salem witch trials and like. Who were the the bad like uh, like a progressive women like oh we'll label them witches and we'll burn them at the stake and we right. don't have to worry about it anymore. So this idea of like in the nineteen seventies like here's a movie about a uh, bored housewife mm-hmm. who like gets involved in the stuff and kind of like which is scary and yes. um, subversive and stuff is sort of there there's there's a potential there which I'm excited to see of sort of like here's a story of a woman who's like doing what she wants to get back at this guy who yeah. keeps her on a literal and metaphorical leash. Right, exactly. Um, have you seen The Witch, uh, Robert Eggers? No. Okay, you need to see it. I'm pretty okay. sure it's available on Amazon. Okay. Um, but it's one of those things where, like, uh, the accepting of, of witchcraft kind of, like, brings... It's, like, it's a weirdly feminist, like, accepting of an agency thing that this Ooh. woman's development from an innocent person to a witch is sort of, like... Huh, that's kind of empowering. Nice. Not not happy, <laughs> right. but empowering. Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily say that this movie ends in a happy way mm. either. <laughs> I um, would not necessarily. Well, say and that. and also too because uh, when it comes to witchcraft and the devil, I mean, one of your biggest uh, cinematic milestones for that is like Rosemary's Baby, mm. and she's very much victimized yeah, by that sort of stuff. Definitely. You know, she she's she is 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 forced to have the devil's child. Yeah. Um, but to kind of hear this thing of like, uh, is this something? And, but and also too, that idea of like maybe she's not a witch, but she's just projecting it. Like, man, it would just be great not to be oppressed anymore. Is yeah. is cool. <laughs> Yeah, it's, like, so interesting um, how it's told. Because, like, there's at least a cult 
Okay. <laughs> so whether they actually are magic is the question. <laughs> I mean, Nexium weren't magic, but you know they were a cult too. There you go. So, um, yeah, and and also this is I, I'm. It's a constant battle I have with um, specifically kind of one listener as to uh, filmmaker intent versus what you bring to a mm. movie because of societal things. So I just got oh, done yes. reading a book called The Second Shift, which was like a seminal text in like the 70s and 80s, just basically talking about the unfair division of housework, especially when it comes to women and men. Yes. And like how working couples, the woman ends up working like an extra month per year on housework and not sharing. So yeah. I'm, I'm thinking I just got done with that and I'm looking at this housewife who's sort of like yeah she's not happy in her situation like yeah i guess witchcraft makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> i'd do it <laughs> like yeah, I, I can kind of see how you'd get there yeah um so that okay that's that's pretty cool um and it, I, I gotta say i don't rec- and this is kind of a cool thing that romero did like i don't really recognize any of the names of people who are cast in this movie at all and like that was that was his thing i mean who was Dwayne jones before he got right. cast in Italy? or who was ken foree until he got cast in like dawn of the dead so there you go that's pretty cool Oh, I forgot to mention one other thing. Um, for like all Ramiro people, mm-hmm. one thing or the films, uh, his one of his second wife is in like I think at least three, <laughs> <laughs> and she's a nurse in two of them. Okay, <laughs> I'm pretty sure she's the same exact character. Okay, I think it makes sense. But anyway, all right. So <laughs> you know, maybe he was working on the progressive thing, but like you know, casting his wife in a, a you know yeah, stereotypical well, <laughs> female role, but you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I think they met on the set of this film. So oh, okay. Like witch. All right. And it, it's kind of funny because you know when you're on IMDb and it's like more like this, and I was talking about like I don't want to see George Romero make a drama. Um, <laughs> apparently, 1971, right before this one. There's always vanilla, uh, yeah. comedy, drama, romance. Mm-hmm. A young man returns to his home city of Pittsburgh and moves in with an older woman whom he begins to rely on for emotional and financial support. Uh, 5.1 stars out of 10 for IMDb users, oh, so um, I think we're all on the same page with that Well, one. I mean, he didn't write it either, you know. I think he just directed yeah. it, so it's um, not. he had to get some monies, you know. The season of The Witch, according, if you put stock in this, 5.5 out of 10 stars. Oh. Uh, but 2 out of 10, ooh, 2 hours and 10 minutes this movie is. Wow, I didn't realize that. Yeah. Sorry about that. <laughs> um, have fun. Yeah, um, do you have, but uh, any any other any other things you want to talk about season of the witch before we move on to the next one? Let me see. It's your show. There, it's very. It's also very much a timely piece as far as itself. Like one note I made was anything goes in the seventies and sixties. Well, sure. Yeah. That kind of thing with you know the drug influence and everything. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Dreaming. And, and truth, and how those things can be the same or different. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Again, I just remember, I'm so sorry. I remembered something that's in a lot of his work. Oh, okay. For some reason, adultery is quite, I've seen it enough. And even, even in the movies that I didn't watch, like, uh-huh. just to see what else he did, I, um looked up the synopses and it's like they cheat or like here's this guy and like it's so interesting and i'm like well he was married thrice <laughs> yeah I, I i do i do wonder about that something yeah. like how that might twist someone's psyche whether they realize it or not yeah um because I, I remember uh my girlfriend and i just recently rewatched network or she watched it for the first time i watched it for the first time in a long time mm-hmm. controversial opinion i don't think it some parts really hold up not well at all including um some of the attitude towards females like uh william holden's character 
cheats on his wife with the uh, with an executive woman, and uh, we're supposed to believe that he's sort of like dignified and recognizing that he's a bad person for doing it. And it's like you look at him like, okay, but Sidney Lumet was married like four times, so he probably doesn't have the most healthy um, approach to relationships and, and equity in, in them and right. that side of thing. But and I think it also um, it can it can sometimes add. Because uh, when, you, when you're surrounded by zombies or, like, witches or werewolves, like, okay, we have this external threat, but then what do we do an internally thing? And when you kind of have this, it's kind of a cheap source of tension and, like, conflict, but it can add. I mean, even in yeah. uh, Dawn of the Dead, the woman was, like, pregnant. She wanted to get an abortion, but the dude didn't want it. So it's like, oh, this is. Yeah. Maybe it's so like, oh, we got all these, like, walls that are built up, but, like, what's going on on the inside kind wow. of thing. So. Deep. What? what? I told you I've been doing this for a while. <laughs> uh, so we got Season the Witch uh, from 1972, available uh, if you have a Prime, uh, Amazon Prime video account. But of course, uh, as I will always say, I'll get more into details of availability in the individual episodes, but at least Season the Witch, available on Prime. So we got that one down. Number two, your recommendation for me after Season the Witch is going to be... Monkey Shines, Mon- an experiment in fear. <laughs> 1988. A, a movie that I told Allie, um, I've been putting off seeing this for such a long time, because when I first heard about it, I'm like, okay, so like he's, a, he's got a monkey helper? This is kind of weird. And then, last October, uh, I covered Dario Argento. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I think it was Phenomenon was the one that like uh, the killer is ultimately like the bad person is ultimately killed by a monkey. I'm just like you've just ruined all credibility in this. And like uh, yeah. be- because a vengeful monkey came and said, I'm just like yeah. So it's like it's very it seemed very not serious to me. Mm. But you're recommending it, so let's talk about let's do why it. you're gonna be recommending <laughs> Monkey Shines. Well, I also wanted to do something from different like decades, even though okay. the next one's like only two years after this. But yeah, no, it is what it is. Um, um, and once again, I'm gonna read the IMDb uh, summary for you. And this is based on a novel. Oh my god! Oh, I didn't even realize. Wow, I'm uh, a jerk. Okay, um, a quadriplegic man has a trained monkey help him with his paralysis until the little monkey begins to develop feelings and rage against its new master. <laughs> feelings and rage. Yeah, that's it. Specifically the feeling of rage. Yeah. He's not feeling eroticism towards its new master. Oh, he was. I mean, she was. <laughs> Wait, really? Oh, yeah. There's like this, oh my gosh. There's a scene where like the music's playing. She turns on the music, she turns off the lights. And she goes and she like hugs her master, and they're like hugging, and it's dark. And it's okay, like, I, yeah, she's in love with him. What is going sure. on in this movie? Okay. Well, she's injected with human brain cells, so that she's like part oh. human. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, All right. and that's why she's so smart. So is that does that play into the conflict in the sense of like what are what are what of our experiments rock kind of a thing? Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. Um, I saw in this film. Not only the quest, the same question Romero always poses, which is like, you know, what is human? What is animalistic? Mm-hmm. Who should be killed? Who shouldn't be killed? What is good? What is bad? Um, it was also like specifically good science versus bad science mm, yeah, okay. um, in this one because on the good side of things, um, this paraplegic man can like, you know, have autonomy. He has this great wheelchair that helps him get around and like do whatever. And um, the 
the system in the house is set up where he could just say number seven and that will turn on the lights. Number eight turns okay. off the lights. You know, like it, it, technology so is basically home- Google Home Assist before that was a thing. Literally that. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the bad science is like, okay, you have his friend who's a scientist, and I thought they were brothers until just recently. <laughs> but they're friends. All right. and, I don't know. <laughs> whatever. So um, his scientist friend. Um, uh, he is like experimenting on all these monkeys and like keeping them in cages and it's like very not good but his boss is even worse than he is with mm-hmm. torturing animals and everything so you know he's good compared to this guy but he's still bad like yeah. doing these awful things and injecting human brains and like it's all weird and he tries to like stay awake 24-7 <laughs> which is not good <laughs> right. um, so I don't know just like very interesting questions are being posed in this film mm-hmm. and um I, I think also, I mean, you're going to talk more about this yourself, so you're going to find what you find in it. I will. Um, Whether you wanted me to find it or not, I will You find better it. not! Yeah. <laughs> uh, apparently the uh, the monkey named Boo is played by a monkey named Ella. Wait. Yeah. Say that again. Um, the monkey, uh, unless there's another character named Boo, but let me just click on this. No, Boo is the monkey. I thought Boo was the actor. And because Ella's the monkey's name in the movie. Oh, I I, I yeah. miss I oops yeah. I misread that you are okay you are correct. But um, Boo, Boo that's is an the real name. yeah okay Boo is the real monkey that plays yeah. the character of Ella. Boo has uh, her own IMDb page and literally only credit is playing Ella in Aww. monkey show. <laughs> While she went out with a bang, I guess. <laughs> so, but but that's that's interesting when you pose it because like what I was worried about when I first heard about monkey shines and when you said you were going to talk about it, was this idea of. Um, like, the idea of, oh, been injected with human DNA or whatever, like, okay, fine, but are you going to use that to explore an avenue, or is it just kind of schlocky, sort of, like, B-movie, like, oh, of course it's a monkey with human DNA, it's like, okay, but what are we doing with that? So the fact that you say and assure me, they're like, no, they, they are it's, using that, like, oh, okay, all there's right. There's a reason, but okay, right. <laughs> especially since it's, you're going to hear it a bunch of times in this film how they're, like, talking about kind of, like, man versus nature in a way. Okay. Where you have this monkey who is injected with human brain cells, and then you have this man who mind melds with this monkey um, so that the monkey, like, almost takes on what he wants and she carries it out. Okay. Um, So it's like the lines are blurred. His last name is literally Man. <laughs> All right. So, Alan, Alan Man. Yep. So, but they say it all the time, like, what, what is, like, oh, what can a monkey do? What can a human do? What are the animalistic sides, like, you know, of, of nature or of man? But, like, honestly, like, people are animals. So, like, that also blurs the line of, like, what does it mean to be human versus any other animal? Yep. Um, aside from this technology, it's, like... You know, but it's very interesting, and I am excited to hear your thoughts on it. Well, and that, that is interesting that it seems like, <clears throat> uh, without doing any research, I'm sure George Romero was an atheist, just based on mm-hmm. his thoughts on humanity, and also just like it, there is this thing of like, yeah, I mean, we're all just pretty much bags of meat. Um, oh, creepy. <laughs> but but it, it does sort of seem like, um, and I'm thinking specifically of, of Day of the Dead, like, but the one thing that kind of separates us is like is at least the recognition that that's what we are or that we have i mean think of bub the zombie like once he kind of gained awareness of like this is a sense of self and my relationship with other people that sort of like kind of put him on a level whereas you had Rhodes, who's like 
I'm running this monkey farm now, Frankenstein. Like, you know, just sort of like, oh, uh, you know, you sympathize with this undead zombie that wants to eat people and you don't sympathize. And and so it sort of is that I'm I'm curious as to how that sort of, I'm already, here's the thing. People might get upset. It seems like I'm already kind of developing an agenda. I'm going to go into a movie like and look at how these movies kind of fit into it. Uh, so maybe that's a bad thing, or maybe that's just what's there in the subtext, and I'm just gonna be really smart about. It. I think that I think that's it. But <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, so we got monkey. Anything else you want to say about monkey shines? Let's see. Uh, just want to remind everybody about the color red. Um, you're gonna see it a lot. <laughs> now is that so? The fact that he mind melds is that where the shines come from? Is it like the shining, like Steve? I don't know. Okay. I do not understand why shines is in the title. <laughs> <laughs> I might have missed it. Hmm. I I. Anytime I took notes, I paused it, but that yeah. did kind of interrupt the no, I kind of, flow. Maybe I'll, and maybe stay tuned for the episodes that uh, we can kind of explore that in a little bit. So, yeah. um, you specifically, because I'm really ashamed of you right now. What? No, I'm kidding. Because <laughs> I didn't know I shot it. <laughs> it's so weird. I don't know. Um, yeah. Well, there you go. Okay, so we got a we got Monkey Shines from 1988, uh, screenplay by George Romero, based on the novel by Michael Stewart. Let's see if uh, Michael any other Michael Stewart work has been adapted. Oh yeah, it seems like um, uh, he's got um, favorite no nothing nothing that you'd recognize unless you uh, are a fan of the film Midnight Edition from 1993. Uh, which you're probably not, so I'm not even going to explore that anymore. Okay, so we got Season of the Witch, we got Monkey Shines, and you're going to wrap it all up with the recommendation of... That's my drum roll. I like it. Two Evil Eyes. Two Evil Eyes. 1990. Not one of those eyes are good. Nope, they're real bad. Um, uh, a, uh, a, a co-direct in which he... It was him and Dario Argento. Argento. Um, directing right. two pieces of shorts from Stephen King, I believe, if I remember that correctly. Um, actually, I think the facts in the case of Mr. Valdemar, which was kind of more Romero's, was Edgar Allan Poe. That's right. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Um, oh, sorry. Let me step back real quick. Monkey Shines seems like it's available to stream if you have a Star subscription or if you have one of those stars through Amazon subscriptions. Um, so if you're looking for it for free, you can look in those avenues. If you're wondering, like, but I don't have those, how much will I find it? Gonna have to tune into the episode. Alright, so now that I've held you all hostage, uh, back to Two Evil Eyes. Yes, you are correct. I, I believe a, a Stephen King adaptation. Or no, maybe, the, are they both? Um, I, I know at least the first one's Edgar Allan Poe. Let's see. I don't see. remember the um, second one. Okay, IMDb, thanks for your pop-up ad. Um, I don't know. It, it, oh, no, no, they, they both are Edgar Allan okay. Poe because the black cat is uh, is the other one. Uh, so. um, and the one that Dario Argento. But we're... Okay, so I think I'm going to... Just focus on I, I'm going to... You know, and, and especially um, heads up to listeners, I'm only going to focus on the George Romero part in the episode um, because that's the one that we're talking about. Unless I can see maybe in like a juxtaposition kind of thing, but I'm not going to be doing... Let me talk about this one, then let me talk about that one. I'm only going to be talking about uh, the facts of the case of Mr. Voldemort. Um, cool. Which kind of sounds a little bit like Mr. Voldemort, but that's fine. <laughs> Wearing your always t-shirt. Yeah, uh. <laughs> so, yeah of course. Um, IMDb says, Two horror tales based on short stories by Edgar Allan Poe. So, there it is. Uh, directed by George Romero and Dara Argento. A greedy wife kills her husband, but not completely. Um, <laughs> and a sleazy reporter adopts a strange black oh and it's oh it's a shame because harvey keitel is in uh the black the black cat segment he is not in the george romero segment um this was actually one i saw this in college um 
And uh, if I remember correctly, college was like when you were being born because it was such a <laughs> lot. Uh, no. Uh, um, but so I remember. Um, I'm pretty sure I remember the death sequence in this one. Yes. I don't remember anything else. So everything's going to be a, a, a surprise for me, relatively speaking. Good. Um, but yeah, two evil eyes. So 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 talk talking about this one because this was he did Monkey Shines in '88. Two evil eyes is the very next thing he does in 1990. Why this one? Why why not? Let's say. Let me see. What else did he do in the nineties? Night Riders. Let's say. Eh, that one's not really horror, so oh. fuck that. <laughs> 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 All right. Yeah. I don't, well, what's funny about this one? You know, we weren't supposed to talk about zombies, but we kind of are. Yeah. In a way. Well, but we're not talking about the Living Dead one. You're right. You know, the, his You're that right. that that specific series that has like an arc and a development and you right. know that sort exactly. of thing. So. So this one, you know, um, you got. Ah, this is, here's where adultery is very big. Mm. In, um, and weirdly enough, in Monkey Shines and in Two Evil Eyes, mm-hmm. the wifey or girlfriend, you know, depending, will have an affair with the doctor. Oh. It's like, why specifically that? Hmm. But anyhow. <laughs> um, so, um, here we go with Two Evil Eyes. All right. All right. So, it's kind of saying like, In this one, it's very much poetic justice. Like, yeah. hmm? whoever does anything for money, you know, it's not going to turn out good for you. <laughs> um, it's kind of basic. Um, it's just, like, fun. I don't know. I think it's really cool. It. I like... Oh, this is something else about Romero, is I feel like, in general, his pacing is so excellent. Like, oh, okay. You know, I don't think anything ever happens too soon or too late mm-hmm. with what he does. Okay. And in this one, since it's sharing screen time with the black cat, it's, I think, only about an hour. Um, but, like, over that hour, it's, like, so... It's, like, perfectly paced. Um, <laughs> I'll say it again. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it starts off, like... Um, you see this character who's, like, clearly a lion jerk. <laughs> and she's on her way to see... Um, like an attorney or whatever um and you already get the feeling you don't like her Mm -hmm. um but you're gonna have to be stuck with her for a while so you're like all right i'll give you a chance (laughs) um then it goes to okay like you see the situation like in in that first i think in like the first five minutes you understand exactly what's happening okay which is great Mm -hmm. um and then it shifts over to this glam kind of like lifestyle that this person has because of her husband who's like super old and super rich Mm -hmm. and he's on his deathbed and like that's how it starts off and you're like okay i see where this is going (laughs) (laughs) and anywho um yeah i don't know i just think it's like fun Uh, it's um and also i mean kind of like with season of the witch like it's almost like you're living in a nightmare in this one um because of the things that happen, it's almost like it's too unreal, but, like, you believe it still. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I don't know, karma in this one it plays a big role. Uh, <laughs> like, you kind of just always know what's gonna happen. But I don't think in a bad way. Well, and, and there, there's something to be said about uh, catharsis. And if, mm-hmm. if there is any kind of, like, a, a specific type of movie, which is, like, I'm gonna feel good because of Schadenfreude, because I was, like, it's gonna be horror movies, in which yeah. it's, like, bad people 
not all the time, but sometimes, like, they're, they're going to get their comeuppance. It's true. I mean, you can typically tell that sort of stuff. Where like, hmm, this person, yeah, things aren't going to go well for this person. <laughs> and know? I am on board as I wait for that stuff to happen. Yep. Um, so that is always fun. That's that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'd say also, like, out of all three of these films, I felt that the two, the facts in the case of Mr. Baltimore was, like, the one right off the bat you knew was horror. The mm-hmm. other two, especially with Monkey Shines, it's it almost feels like it's going to be a, a feel-good movie. Oh, like, really? It doesn't get creepy music until nine minutes in, and that's for a very brief time. Mm-hmm. And then it goes like, you think like, oh, is this going to be an inspirational film? Like the <laughs> typical like inspirational film when you have someone who is wheelchair-bound, um, which is like, you know, mm-hmm. kind of offensive. Um, but it takes a turn, and it becomes horror. Uh, but like, this one right off the bat, you're like, ooh, creepy music. Ooh, cre- eerie statues. Ooh, Edgar Allan Poe. Like they say right at the beginning, Edgar Allan Poe. Mm. So like, that was the first time where I felt like it really... Um, you're like, oh, okay, I know what I'm in for. But also, I think that makes sense because, as I said way earlier, how he'll always tell a story the way it should be told. That's just how Poe is, mm-hmm. you know? Like, if you're going to tell an Edgar Allan Poe story, you already know it's going to be scary or creepy or, like, you know, dark. It's, it's definitely going to be macabre. We know, yeah. <laughs> we'll know that. that exactly. It's not going to end happily for, like, anybody. Right. Hmm. So I, I just felt like that made complete sense. Um, I do wonder sometimes, like... If you, you, if you summon the spirit of Edgar Allan Poe, let's say that was possible, mm-hmm. and even like a corporeal form of him, you sat him down and you watched, and you made him watch some adaptations of his stuff, would he be like, oh, they got it right, or like, oh, oh my god, like this isn't, because like I, when, when you're a kid, and especially the first time you hear The Raven, you're like, mm. dude is a horror writer, like absolutely, then you read some of his other stuff, and like, <laughs> like, is he interested in horror, or is he just interested in sort of like, like, melancholy and like how mm. things kind of seem horrific when you're in a certain environment he he did have a sad life he, <laughs> man things Very, did, didn't get a lucky break did not go well for that no. man at all but then because you you see something like and i hated the show the following do you remember that show nope okay so the following was uh kevin bacon and <laughs> so, that's funny because <laughs> he's in everything he is yeah Six um degrees. uh kevin it was kevin bacon some British dude, and then um, an actress who was one of who played Raylan's ex-wife in Justified. Uh, but basically, there was a serial killer mm-hmm. who, uh, like, he was an English professor, and he has like this cult following that people like follow his study, and it's all like inspired by Edgar Allan Poe. And it, and like one of the main, I mean, not only was it a terrible show, but one uh-huh. of the main criticisms was like, you guys fundamentally misunderstand Edgar Ooh. Allan Poe, and so like he wasn't like this wasn't anything that he was interested in so i do wonder sometimes about that um says the guy who's got the complete works of edgar Allan poe on the bookshelf and hasn't read it since college hey at least you read it i did read it it's got one of those little like ribbon like uh bookmarks it's so cool but anyway (laughs) um i don't remember where i was going with that but uh i think you were saying would he be satisfied yeah but like would it and i'm I'm just because romero too is like practical effects gore that's his thing but i don't know be like Oh no! <laughs> oh my god! I, we just gave him a British accent, like oh, indubitably, like it was, dude was. I'm from Baltimore. <laughs> yeah, this is this is a legitimate Baltimore accent, yeah. um, combined with Philadelphia. Right. Um. Anyway, but uh, but yeah, so that's all to say. Catharsis, I guess we might yeah. say. Well, I don't know. Yeah, I, don't I know guess where that I was going makes sense. That. Yeah, but at, at, in any case, it's just a fun one. I really like it. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and is his, do you remember, is his segment the first one or the second one? Am I going to have to fast one. forward? Okay. No, yeah, yeah, you yeah. just hit pause at the end. <laughs> <laughs> Hitting the back button on that Roku remote. <laughs> yup. Um, um, also, would you be interested in an adaptation of um, The Facts in the Case of Wilmer Valderrama? Wait, which is, what's that? <laughs> it's, not, it's not a real thing. I'm just kind of wondering if it was the facts. <laughs> like, instead of the, the facts in the case of Mr. Voldemort, would you want the facts in the case of Wilder Valderrama? <laughs> sure. <laughs> sure. You, you know who Wilder Vol- Valderrama is, I, right? Wait, which person is this? He's a Fez from that 70s show. Oh, that's He's funny. now on NCIS. Okay, now yeah. I get it. Um, then but, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, I would. Because um, he, you know, he seems like he's, he's kind of a scumbag. Guy. He's yeah. got he's got an in, a weird that. interest in younger women. But, yeah, you know. let's do it. Yeah, <laughs> let's, let's let's make it. Write up the script. <laughs> All right. Any any other comments you got about uh, two evil eyes? Oh, uh, this is the same. <laughs> this is where the nurse is the same actor oh. <laughs> <laughs> as right. Monkey Shines, and I'm certain it's the same universe because of how she acts. Okay. I'm certain of it, <laughs> which is hilarious. Um, <laughs> it's only two years later, so yeah, that's true. Makes sense. Um, it, and that, he was not the first. David Mamet used to put all of his wives in his movies as well. Yeah. Um, and in the case of let's say House of Cards. Maybe you shouldn't have done that, because she's kind of the worst part about it. Oh, damn. <laughs> what? Uh, Hot takes in a movie that came out in 1987. I think it was 87. I don't know. How's the cards? Anyway. But it, it's, it's actually a fantastic film, but oh, just cool. the lead is not great. Um, two Evil Eyes. Um, once again, if you got Amazon Prime, you're watching it for free. Mm-hmm. Um, but apparently also, uh, if you have Canopy, do you know about Canopy? No. Canopy is a streaming service. If you have a uh, library card to the New York Public Library, it's oh, wait, a I've it's a free streaming service. Yeah, yeah, that you access it with your library membership. That's solid. So everyone is like, libraries suck. You know what? You suck. Yeah. Yeah. How about that? <laughs> okay. So <laughs> as as a recap, we've got Season of the Witch, we got Monkey Shines, and we got Two Evil Eyes. Allie, before we wrap up, any comments? Any concerns? Anything you want to say about George Romero? About your hopes for the future? About mm. um, do you? Do you think Star Wars Episode Nine is going to be any good? Oh man, have I you, hope so. You seen so. the teaser? I uh, don't like spoilers, so no, okay. I, I have not seen the. <laughs> okay. Now, were you were you a fan of the Last Jedi? Hell no. Really? I was not. Oh man. I feel okay. Wow. All right. <laughs> Here's why. Because in Force Awakens, even though it was completely obviously a copy of the original trilogy, sure. all in one film, yep. Um, they set up so many amazing things to happen. Yep. Um, I, some people don't feel that Finn and Ray were meant to be, but I do. Like yeah. I felt that there was clear chemistry between them. Okay. Um, and then in Last Jedi, they meet for like five seconds, have an awkward hug, and say bye. Yep. It's like that makes no sense. Um, they literally like risked their lives for each other in the last film. They, you know, but whatever. Um, they set up. Uh, is it Maz Kanata? Did I just make up a name? <laughs> Who, wait, wait. Uh, I want to say Lupita Nyong'o's character. Oh, 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 oh. Um, yeah, who was a, a big, who was kind of a big, uh, a big influence in the first film, and then in this one, she's kind of like you hear about her directing you towards a Benicio, the, the completely um, extraneous Benicio del Toro character. No, I was right. Maz Kanata. Look at oh, that. okay. Got that right. Um, they set her up to be the new Yoda. And then, like, she's so wise, she's all-knowing. Mm-hmm. She's, like, a tiny little alien. Yeah. And then, in the next film, because I guess she was filming um, uh, Black Panther, like, mm-hmm. they couldn't have her on set. But, like, yeah. she's a voiceover. Like, y'all can take her anytime. Just saying. 
Like, so she's just, as you said, in there for like five seconds. Yep. I was like, in, in the middle of a fight, from what I remember, because she's like shooting lasers and flying away. Yeah. It's yeah. like, all right, bye. Wow. Okay. Um, and what else? Um, Snoke is nothing. But I kind of love that, though. I okay. Well, we'll have we'll have a conversation we'll have later. Like, I can go on. Um, because that ties into the general theme that Ryan Johnson was going for about it. But it, I, and I love that last shot of that kid. Like he uses the force to get beautiful. the broom. I'm I was like, like okay, oh, there's hope. That's so good. Yeah. Um, okay, one final question. Yes. Leia f- flying through space. Did that bother you? Yeah, because like that. I mean, that was like weird. It was like we'd never seen that happen before. Um, I'm glad she survived it's it. It's the force. They can, like, come on. Right. There, there's you not know, the hard, know, fast you know, rules you know. to that. Yeah, no, nah, that's a good point. But, like, I don't know. I, I was, I, I, I guess I was more upset that I didn't see more of her powers. And that was kind of, like, the mm. zenith of her abilities that we saw. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I didn't see her wield a lightsaber ever. And that really is upsetting. Maybe we'll see it in this last one. I don't know how they're going to do it. Um, but yeah, I just feel like if that was all, that was like the peak, that's kind of upsetting. Okay. What are you more nervous about letting you down? Star Wars episode nine or Avengers Endgame? Well, admittedly, Mm -hmm. I haven't kept up with the Avengers films. Okay. So definitely Star Wars. Half of everyone is dead. Oh shit. Yeah. (laughs) Oh man. That was, uh. I did not know that. Not to, I mean, I can't spoil it because all the ads, but yeah, Thanos, he got his glove and he snapped and like half of existence got wiped out, so. Did not know that. Yeah. That's pretty intense. Including Tom Holland. No! Yeah. No! Yeah. They kill Spidey? They kill Spider-Man. Yeah. But here's the thing about it. There's a trailer for his new movie, so it's like, okay, so he clearly comes back. Why would they <laughs> bring... Are you serious? I, <laughs> they brought him on to kill him on. But, his, but his, his is also the most emotional one, because like, he improvised Aww. a line where like he's, he's with the whole crew fighting Thanos because Tony Stark's like, kid, go home, and he doesn't. Like, he kind of... Of course, he never does. He kind of, like, uh... Not hijacks. He stows away on, like, the spaceship that Tony Stark has taken. So, at the end, when Thanos snaps his fingers, and, like, everyone just kind of slowly, like, kind of crumbles and, like, fades into dust, when it's happening to him, he's holding Tony Stark. He's like, Mr. Stark, I'm so sorry. Like, I... And, like, he... Like, he's a... He reverts back to being a kid, like, who he's scared. And then, like... And it is the most, like, and it's kind of like you're saying the thing, like, yeah, right, like, Black Panther's not coming back. Um, but that one was just like, oh, like, oh my god. <laughs> it it, it, it hit me. Um, Damn. But I'll say I'm probably the most, uh, I'm kind of going into Endgame with, like, lowered expectations. Okay. And I'm not worried about Episode Nine being disappointing, because I loved The Last Jedi. I'm glad you did. Uh, I'm more worried about... Star Wars fans are some of the worst people in the world. Like, you know, so when that movie... The, the racism against Rose <sighs> was terrible. It's so bad. Um, that was messed up. And I gotta say, while I appreciate what you're saying about Finn and Rey, I want Finn and Poe to get together. I, that's <laughs> like that's, so many that's people that's do. Want, I'd yeah. be okay with that, yeah. but... But anyway, we gotta <laughs> wrap this thing up uh, because it's become the Star Wars podcast now. So, but um, as a reminder, Season of the Witch, Monkey Shines... Two evil eyes. Um, Allie, if people were listening to this podcast, like, yo, she's pretty cool. How can I get more of her stuff? Where can people find more of your stuff? Well, if you live in New Jersey, you probably don't. <laughs> you could come see me in the improv troupe, Howdy Stranger. Woo. You can go to howdystranger.com. Nice. Find out when we're performing. Um, what else? Uh, hmm. How do people find your podcast? 
Oh, duh. Yeah. You know what? Hang on. I always have to write that down. <laughs> <laughs> As a reminder, when she's looking up, it is called uh, BitLip, a teen movie podcast. <laughs> oh, um, she is a co-host with a friend, uh, Genevieve, who is apparently brilliant and a genius. That... Uh, she is. And there are two cats. Not involved in the podcast, from what I understand, but there are two cats that are in the general vicinity when... Yes, and hers is called Bina, and her boyfriend's is called George Michael. I'm pretty sure that's his name, unless I made that up to <laughs> All right, I, well. I, I hope you've been calling George Michael when it's, like, really named, like, Fuzzy or something. <laughs> it's a better name anyway. Um, all right. So, you could, on the Facebook, look up Bitch Lip, colon, a teen movie podcast. All right. That's one thing you can do. It's on SoundCloud as well. Hells yeah. We're on SoundCloud. We're on uh, Apple, iTunes, that's what it's called, iTunes. Um, if you go on, like, if you have an iPhone and you click on the podcast app, it's there. Um. Well, if, uh, it has been a while since I've posted stuff, so maybe people are like, I don't know, Jim, it was such a long time ago. Um, but of course, you can find me on Facebook at I Do Movies Badly, idomoviesbadly.podbean.com, mm-hmm. um, or com to find back episodes of I Do Movies Badly. And I would encourage you, if you do that, Shame in the comments field. I love I love reading comments from people. Mm. Um, I am also on uh, iTunes if you search for I Do Movies Badly, and I am on Twitter not for my podcast handle but for my personal handle, which is Nolan Fixes Teeth, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> that is an appropriate response. <laughs> um, but uh, I don't really do much on there. I kind of um, retweet liberal, progressive, political things and uh, adorable animals and bad oh. jokes. So cool. Yeah, maybe don't do that but facebook i do movies badly uh battleship retention and i do movies badly.podbean.com ali thanks a lot for physically coming by for this you got it's it always much better in person mm-hmm. um and uh listeners be sure to tune in next week where i'll be reviewing season of the witch yes and we'll hopefully i will be just a little bit less ignorant This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet.